You're entering Outer Brightness. Hey Fireflies, this is part two of our discussion with Stephen Pinecker of the YouTube channel Mormon Book Reviews. We really appreciate what Stephen is doing because he's showing that Latter-day Saints and evangelicals can have productive, respectful conversations, even where there are disagreements. Uh, we appreciate his interest in Mormon history uh, as former Latter-day Saints ourselves. Uh, we understand that uh, Latter-day Saint history uh, poses a uh, an interest for uh many who are outside of the LDS faith. Um, and we appreciate that he's able to have conversations with uh, historians uh, within the uh, Mormon world that uh, are respectful. And so we're glad to have had a conversation with him. He had us on his channel recently to discuss and review Richard Bushman's massive biography of Joseph Smith, Roughstone Rolling, which both Matthew and I have read and then revisited recently. So that was a fun conversation to have with him. Uh, link in the description to that episode of Mormon Book Reviews. Uh, so we hope you enjoyed this conversation and, and go give that one a watch as well. So Calvinism has a very, very high regard for scripture. Um, as a charismatic Christian, how do, you, how do you view concepts like biblical inerrancy and sufficiency? Okay, so I'm speaking for myself here, okay, because basically most of your charismatics and Pentecostals have a very, very high view of scripture. Right. And they have many of them have very literalistic view of scripture. A lot of their doctrine is taking things literally. Hey, it happened in the Bible. That's why we're doing it today. Right. So as I walked away from the evangelicalism and just kind of plotted my own course where um, God was kind of just background noise for a long time, I really um, jumped into studying science, uh, understanding the scholarship uh, of the Bible, um, you know, understanding how it was put together. Um, who wrote it, uh, things that were added later, like the long ending of Mark, um, all these things, you know, just like real, like, oh man, these are things I had no idea. And so I kind of felt betrayed because I was not, wasn't taught any of these things. Right. So I'm, I'm exposed to the biblical scholarship. I'm exposed to a naturalistic worldview and the theory of evolution. And it's not taught by like a Ken, Kent Hovind or Kent Ham, where they just make a, you know, they, they, they do a caricature of evolution. I actually studied it so I could get a better understanding of it. So, so here I'm, I, under, I understand all the modern science. I understand uh, all the modern scholarship when it comes to the Bible. So when I came back into Christianity, I have to say, and I hate using this word because it gets overused, but I did come back with a more nuanced view of things. Okay. One thing I would say, this is just all personal opinion here. And, I, and I'm all, I'm willing to say I'm wrong, right? I'm saying, and I'm open to criticism. I'm not saying this is the gospel truth and you should follow this. It's just for me. But I look at scripture as being directed by the hand of God, but the fingerprints of man are all, are all over it, right? Because I don't think they're automatons that are just uh, writing these things down. I think it's a, when, they're, when they're writing this scripture, it's, a, it's going through. So I look at it this way. When you have an encounter with the divine and then you try to 
express it or explain it or write it down, it immediately becomes corrupted because it, it, we can't comprehend the divine. So when somebody is being inspired, like when Paul's writing these letters, he's he's not necessarily even realizing he's writing scripture, right? He's just writing, hey, I got to give some, these churches are in trouble. I better write some stuff down and give them advice, right? So, uh, you know, and so I, I kind of just look at it like, okay, you know, what's the context of this verse? Who was it written to? What, what, what's the audience here? Does it apply to me? Does it apply to the modern world? Um, you know, what do we know about the age of the earth and how that corresponds to the, to the, to the, the Genesis model, right? Um, like, for instance, in the Genesis model, it does assume a flat earth. Now, later in the, old, in the Hebrew scriptures, it does um, start in, uh, invoking the idea of a round earth, but that's right around the time when the Jews were starting to interact with the, the Greeks, with, with the Hellenization process. So the idea that the, the earth being a, a globe was kind of brought in by the Greeks. But early on in the, old, in, in the, in the Genesis account, um, if read literally, um, it, it definitely is. There's a firmament and there's a dome and then there's these pillars of the earth underneath. It's very much a flat earth concept. So I take that into account. But that's what they believe. That was the world, how they understood it to, to existed. So, so I just try to kind of look at it that way. Like, I look at it, like, accept the modern Bible scholarship, accept what's in there. Most people in the pews don't know this stuff. And then what happens is their kids go away to school or they start going to the internet and they say, I'm out of here because, you know, I was taught a bunch of lies. So I think people should just know all this from the start. Um, they need to know about the long ending uh, of Mark and they need to know about the Trinitarian formula added in the Gospel of John by Erasmus. Right. Uh, they don't know that. So I kind of feel like I'm a biblical critic, but I love the scriptures. I believe it. Sh everybody should study it and take it very seriously. But I, but I do think that, okay, I do need to know what the scholars say, too. What is the modern scholarship? I think that God gave us, you know, he gave us the creation, he gave us a mind, and he gave us scripture. And I think we should just kind of take all of that and put that in, in, in integrate that into our worldview. Again, these are just my opinions. Yeah, that's, that's great. Thank you for that. Um, one, of my, one of my experiences uh, coming out of Mormonism was that, you know, by the time I finished my mission, I was really struggling with... Uh, questions about the Book of Mormon, especially related to its historicity. Um, was it actually an ancient record of uh, uh, peoples who had populated uh, the Americas and, and come over uh, in 600 uh, BC from, uh, from Jerusalem? And uh, really was struggling with those questions. I came home, uh, sought answers to those questions. Um, and then towards the end of my time as a Latter-day Saint, uh, I was finishing up my bachelor's degree in business at a small Catholic college uh, near where I live, um, Thomas More College. And I was um, required to take a religion class, even as a business student, um, because it was a Catholic college. So I took a New Testament course and it went into, you know, higher criticism and lower criticism and uh, all of the things that you were kind of talking about, um, comma, Johannium, all of that. Um, and, you know, the synoptic problem, all, all of the kind of scholarly uh research into the New Testament. Um, and for me, studying that out and digging into it, it was it was fascinating. It was thrilling. And it actually, for me, it built my faith because I was at a point in my life where I was like, okay, uh, I was I was asking myself the question, is the Bible just an older lie? Because I had lost complete faith in the Book of Mormon uh, as a historical record. Um, and seeing that you could study the Bible 
uh, from a scholarly perspective. And there's disagreements between, uh, you know, kind of more secular scholars and, and Christian scholars on how to approach uh, the things like the synoptic problem. Um, but the, just the fact that you could study it out, you could study it from a historical perspective, you could study it from a literary perspective, you could see that it, that it actually is ancient literature. Um, that that kind of bolstered my faith. So where where that kind of where those kind of issues sometimes uh, send uh, young Christians who go away to college and learn them uh, at a at a secular university running, it it actually sent me running uh, towards uh, the church because I was excited and and you know I, I saw that yeah the Bible is a historical uh, document. There are questions that that people have about it. There are things you need to study out and and learn about and and figure out. You know, okay, how am I going? How am I going to answer this question? Um, but it it's an actual ancient document, whereas the Book of Mormon is not. So yeah, interesting how you know the same scholarship can approach different or can affect different people in different ways. Well, and and this is the thing, like Bart er- Bart Ehrman, right? He didn't leave Christianity because of the scholarship. He left Christianity because of the problem of evil. You know, um, that was his reason. So, um, and this is the thing, like, so I don't think Christians should fear modern scholarship. I think it should be taught in Sunday school. I think people need to know these things and they need to understand it. Because this is the key thing. A credit to Christianity is that we were the ones that came up with the criticism. We're the ones that devised how it worked, right? We devised the scientific method. We devised the ability to look at our scripture as not some kind of thing that cannot be touched, like uh, maybe like a lot of Orthodox Jews or Muslims view their scripture. We have that freedom in Christ that we can get that that gift that God gave us to, to understand and to study and to scrutinize and to wrestle with God, right? And wrestle with the scriptures. See, to me, that's the beauty of Christianity is that we're the ones that invented the criticism <laughs> of the Bible, right? We're, we, we, we did that. So to me, it's like, that's a credit to the faith. And, and, and so if you're an intellectual and you really want to get it down in the weeds, don't do this superficial thing where you just say, well, the earth is not 6,000 years old. And these people who believe in Noah's Ark and all this kind of stuff. And, and you're, you're going after the low hanging fruit, man. You know, there's something really deep and profound in Christianity. I'd like the atheists to delve in that kind of stuff because the low hanging fruit that's always been there. But there's something about it to its credit. Christianity is able to create this world. And and, and the pastors, they need to start preaching this from their pews. They need to let people know this is the context. And I think Christians will be much better intellectually, better filled, fulfilled better. And they'll actually learn something rather than the garbage that they're being taught in these churches where they're giving these PowerPoint presentations where the pastor gives one verse and then he gives, then he's got his five points. That's why I quit going to church because it was affecting my faith. I, every time I would go to church, I'd be like, man, I'm, I'm losing my faith every time I go to church because I, this is, I'm just watching Oprah. I can, I can sleep. I can just sleep in on Sunday and watch Oprah and get the same ideas. So to me, it's like, no, we need more rigor in our churches across the board. This garbage that evangelicalism, it, it, it's a, it's in, and in one sense, the Christian anarchist in me, it wants to just tear the whole thing down and start all over again uh, on some level, because it's just terrible, the state that the church is in right now. I'm just, I grieve, I grieve at the state that we're in right now. Yeah. You had a lot of great thoughts there. And a lot of, a lot of what you said about how we need to not be afraid of scholarship. I really agree with that. And um, I'm really blessed when I came out of the LDS church, I was introduced to Reformed theology and I found the church I'm in now because our pastors, they're, you know, they teach at seminaries also, and they deal with apologetics also because they, they deal, they, they encounter all of these different ideas and theories in the academic world. And so my pastor, uh, one of my pastors, 
he's doing, he's going through Genesis and he's gone through several months in Genesis. We haven't even gone through chapter one. You know, he's talking about the different uh, theories about, you know, old earth, you know, the day age theory. Um, and he, and, and he definitely uh, gives his idea or his beliefs on what, what, you know, what the biblical account is teaching. But at the same time, like you said, at least he's introducing everybody to these different ideas and theories so that when they go out in the world, they're not blindsided by them. And so I, I really appreciate that because, you know, even, even if somebody disagrees, at least they're exposed to it. And I think that's important. And, and we didn't really get that in the LDS church. You know, we, we got this idea of, okay, this is the way that the prophets apostles of the LDS church have taught us and everything else is wrong basically. And there's no, there's no, there's no treatise. There's no, you know, consideration of other different views. Basically, you know, modern Christianity is corrupt. It's, you know, apostate. And so we're not even going to take what they have to say seriously. So it's, it's refreshing. Like Paul said, it was refreshing for me to, to find out, Oh, they're, you know, disagreement is not a scary thing. You know, disagreement can be an interesting and fascinating and enriching, even if I end up disagreeing with maybe some points that my pastor makes or that other people make, but that's okay because we still, we still have this unity and faith in Christ that binds us together. And so I think, I think that's kind of, maybe that's kind of what the charismatic movement is like. Would you agree with that? That maybe you all disagree in certain aspects of the charismatic gifts, but you still find unity in, in, in the working of the Holy spirit. Yeah, I think I think the key thing uh, is that so often, um, especially in the Reformed tradition, um, or in just in, in the mainline, in a lot of the traditions of the church, I'm not going to pick on the Calvinists here exclusively, is the idea of worship. Okay, worship is foundational to the faith, and I think that that's where unity can be brought forth. I think that's where the Spirit can operate is in the process of engaging God, engaging the Spirit. Um, allowing the divine to express itself, right? In the manifestation of worship, right? I think that that is a means that we can communicate with the creator and have a dialogue and also be touched by him, right? So I think that the way that I think we can engage each other is through worship, not necessarily what's being taught at the pulpit, it's important, but I think that we can find the unity and the centrality of what Christianity is through worship. And if you allow the spirit to operate within the worship aspect of, of uh, I think that's where it can work. I think that that's where you can just praise, just just be in a, an awe of him and praise him and, and, and be with this Methodist and be with this Pentecostal and be, and be with this Presbyterian and all in unity, just glorify him. And I think if we can just do that, I think that's how it works. I think that's how you can allow the spirit to operate because when in the sixties and seventies, when all this stuff was gone and all these people would go to their different churches on Sunday morning, but on that Saturday night or that Friday night, they're all gathered and they're, they're experiencing Pentecost. They're experiencing that, that mighty wind and they're experiencing this, this, this outpouring of the gifts um, that there's a unity in that room. That's so powerful um, but people would still go to their churches on Sunday, right? So I think that that's one way where we can uh, achieve it is is through that. So I don't know. That's kind of how I think is the way that it works. I think it's through, and I think that's why you had these worship wars, especially in the 80s and 90s, where you just had these churches just go at each other. Because I think what part of it was is if we start introducing contemporary Christian music in our churches, next thing you know, they're going to start speaking in tongues, right? <laughs> so that was the fear. Um, and it was it's always about trying to keep and in my mind, as a charismatic, I so, so often see there's a resistance to keeping the spirit out. 
And so they got to, we got anything that change is, it leads to change. Any kind of music that's different than what we're accustomed to, we got to keep this out of here. We got to keep the purity of the faith and purity of our doctrine intact, you know? And uh, I think that just leads to legalism and works. I think it, it's a pharisaical worldview. I think that, that you're not operating in the spirit anymore. You're just operating with the, with the law. And, and we're inclined to do that. The natural man is inclined to want to operate with this way. The law is a curse, right? The spirit is a gift. And so I think that that's how we have to look at it. You know, he gave us the law, but the spirit is the gift that we need to embrace and accept and allow that to be the, uni- the what brings unity to all the body of Christ, whether it, it doesn't matter who you are, what church you belong to, the body of Christ is the individual members, the individual believers of the church. It doesn't matter what, where, where, what, your, what, what creed you believe and, and uh, what your church membership is. Yeah, thank you for answering that. That's great. I, I I do agree with a lot of of this idea that we can we can at least rally behind worshiping God, even if there are doctrinal differences. So I really thank you for that. Um, so let's let's go talk a little bit more specifically about uh, prophecy. So do you believe that prophecy given to modern prophets is on the same level as scripture, or can prophecy potentially supersede or replace scripture, or how how does the authority of prophecy given through prophets relate to scripture? As generally speaking, I would, I, I mean, prophecy has to line up with scripture or it's not legit. I mean, unless God decided he's just going to throw us a curveball or something. Um, I don't, I can't foresee a circumstance where I can see somebody directly contradicting scripture and that being under a thus saith the Lord contradicting scripture. I can't imagine a scenario in which I would think that was legitimate prophecy. Yeah. Thank you for answering that. I, I think that it's very common when we witness to Latter-day Saints and we try to show them either the Old and New Testaments or even the LDS canon to them. And we compare that to what maybe later LDS prophets have taught. And we say, hey, this doesn't line up with this. What do you think? And, and a common rebuttal to that criticism is they say, well, a living prophet's words supersede that of a dead prophet. And I think that was Ezra Tapp Benson that, that gave mm-hmm. a talk about that. And so that even as a Latter-day Saint, that never sat well with me because I thought, even as a Latter-day Saint, I believed that God knew everything. So why would God tell you X one day and not X the next day? And so it didn't bother me because I didn't know about a lot of contradictions in prophecy from, given by LDS prophets and apostles in the Bible. But then once I actually started studying it, it really started to leave me unsettled. So I'll talk a little bit more about Mormonism as we go on. But uh, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what my thought was about, about this question because I dealt with it as a Latter-day Saint myself, and I still deal with that question talking about Latter-day Saints now. They, they don't seem to have a problem with contradictory prophecies. So I, I'm really glad to hear that you say that if you have a prophecy that contradicts what God has previously spoken, then there's a problem. Yeah, I would, I would say so. And, and, and this goes to, I mean, there's contradictions in the Bible too, right? I mean, as we understand modern scholarship, and a lot of regular church-going Christians don't want to know about them either. So uh I, I, the mindset is very similar, whether it's in the Christian church or in the Mormon church, where they're just going to, a lot of people are just, they don't want to know about any of the controversy or the contradictions. They just want to go to church on Sunday and not be bothered by those details. So I think that's part of just a natural thing that people would experience. But yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think what's happening, and, and there are people, there are plenty of people who claim to be prophets who uh, do say and do things and say things that definitely are not scriptural and should be condemned. 
very vigorously. And unfortunately, we don't see that in the charismatic movement. So don't touch the anointed, kind of what you have with the prophets in the Mormon church. You can't touch the anointed. It's kind of the same thing, unfortunately, in the charismatic movement where you have some of these uh, personalities that do these things and you can document all the things they said. And they even said, thus saith the Lord. And they, you know, one said that there was nine members of the Trinity, a very famous televangelist, that kind of thing. It's not being condemned like it should. So that's that's a weakness on our part. Yeah, thank you for that. So let's bring Mormonism in for for our listeners who are who are largely uh, post Mormons, uh, who are Christians, um, or who are investigating Christianity. Why why did you get interested in Mormon history? Hmm. You know, it's just one of those things that I'll never quite understand. I think partly is just I'm just kind of a weird dude, right? <laughs> or kind of unique. Um, I've been fascinated with Mormonism since I was a young child. I mean, I've told this story a couple times on uh, a couple places, but um, first encountered a Book of Mormon in a Marriott hotel we were staying at and saw the Arnold Freiburg paintings and was just kind of blown away by them. And just looking at these paintings and looking like, this looks like the second coming of Jesus happening during the Old Testament, you know, when Jesus is returning to the Americas and and all these things and these battles and Samuel the Lamanite and you just have, you have King Noah and who's, what, Noah, King Noah? <laughs> What's going on here, right? So there, it was just, in my, I went to my parents and all well, this is from a church from, they're, they're in Utah and this is their Bible um, and we don't believe this. And, but I was still, those, those images of those paintings really struck me. Then around this, a few years later, I guess, uh, the, a Christian television station in Chicago aired The Godmakers. And they, I actually caught one of the cartoons. So before, you know, everybody's seen the Godmakers cartoon on the internet. I saw it as a young child when Godmakers was out and watched it on television. That was the only way you could see it, unless you had a VCR, and then you could show it to other people. And uh, so I watched the, the, the cartoon. I remember it really making an impression on me. So you got the images, you got the cartoon. Now, why the heck would I still be interested in Mormonism, right? Yeah, you think I'd be afraid and go, oh, I got to stay away from that, you know? But I just found something so interesting and fascinating about it, because even as a young child, I thought, you know, in my mind, I was like, you know, we need another Bible because the Bible we have now, people aren't believing anymore. And we need modern scripture. Like we need Bible today to appeal to the modern world. I, as a child, I thought this, like we need a Bible too. <laughs> we didn't have 2.0 back then, but I would have said Bible 2.0. In my mind, I thought this is really important because we got to reach the lost. And so then I hear about this other young boy who came across these scriptures, right, that spoke to modern times, It, I had an affinity for that. I found that to be a very interesting idea because I thought, yeah, yeah, okay, I get, I get it. I get where he's coming from kind of almost, right? Um, so I, 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 I was always open to the idea that the canon wasn't closed because I realized it's not in the scriptures, right? It was essentially, if you believe that the, the canon is closed, you're, in, you're kind of endorsing the Council of Trent at that point, you know? Um, and I kind of feel like... Uh, I don't think there's anything scriptural about the Academy and close. I never was scared of the idea that there could be new scripture, although I didn't think it would ever happen. But to me, the idea that there could be new scripture was not, uh, that was not a stumbling block for me. I was open enough to the idea that, yeah, I mean, I think if God can operate, he can operate any once. He wants to give us new scripture, he can give us new scripture. So the idea of something like the Book of Mormon, I didn't find frightening off the top of my head. So I guess I'm, 
attending a weights and measures conference in Portland, Oregon. Okay. So I was this department head. I was a city sealer in this one city in Indiana, where I was a head of the department of weights and measures. And uh, I wasn't old enough to rent a car. So during my free time, I would walk over to Powell's bookstore, which is the world's largest bookstore. And I would go and basically just park in front of the Mormon section because this is Portland, Oregon. So you're going to have pretty, you know, the out West, you're going to have certainly substantially more Mormon stuff than you would find in a bookstore in the Midwest or in the Southeast. So I just was paging through these books. I, and I might've bought one or two of them. I don't remember, but, but I just remember going through these books and spent hours there, you know, my free time reading through these books. And I just remember bumping into uh, this, this guy who was just a recent convert to Mormonism. And I thought, oh, I'm going to blow this guy out of the water. Two, three hours later, I'm sitting there like, oh man, I really need to study this more. I thought I had all the answers. This guy's running circles around me. And he's a recent convert. This is much more of a challenge than I realized. So I had the good Calvinist, that, that studious Calvinist who thought he knew everything, said, okay, I got to know everything. So I threw myself into studying Mormonism, um, became a student of it, studied it. And, and what I did was I didn't read the evangelical stuff and I didn't read the anti stuff. I just read the scholarly stuff. And I did the same study with the Jehovah's Witnesses. I also did a similar study where I just wanted to know what does the scholarship say? What do the historians say? What do the skeptics say? Or, you know, but not the anti, but just kind of like the rational people. What do they say about this? So I just threw myself into it, read everything I could, and basically taught myself Mormonism to the point that I've had very well-known Mormons tell me that I know more about Mormonism than about 99.9% .9 of Mormons. Okay. So I'm pretty well-versed in it. Um, I just find it really, really fascinating. I think, you know, I, I'm a student of history and if you love American history, if you like to read about the pioneer experience, you want to read about the Jacksonian period in America. Um, you want to read about the anti-Masonic party, right? You want to read, you, you know, all these, the civil war, and then, you know, the, the forming of a new state, like with Deseret, and then uh, all the trials and tribulations, and then the, then the polygamy being thrown into the picture. But then like, here's this, prophet who starts this city on the banks of the Mississippi, and he becomes a general of one of the largest armies in the country. And I mean, this is a great American story that's just worthy of study in and of itself. It's a beautiful, wonderful, fantastic story that's just endlessly fascinating to me. And you know what? Um, you know, and I study all these, I know things about the Hopewell situation, the Hopewell civilization. Why? Because I studied the, the Heartlander model of the Book of Mormon. Well, I know what the Adena are. I know what the Hopewell civilization is. I know about uh, Mesoamerica history. I know about, you know, the, the Mayan, uh, the Olmecs and uh, Mayan civilization. I know about all these different things that I wouldn't normally encountered if I didn't encounter Mormonism. So I feel that it just kind of intellectually stimulates me because as, as a side note, I'm also learning these other things and it's actually helps give me a fuller view of the world. So to me, it's just worth studying and I find it interesting. So to me, it's like, if you find something interesting, just keep on going and keep on studying it. So that was the fascinating part. And then um, I have this bookshelf of books. And then in my last year, I started formulating these different ideas of, you know, I think I might do like a YouTube channel. And I, th I th thought about three or four different ideas of what would make a good YouTube channel. And, and then I thought, you know, I got all these books. Maybe I could just do like a little book review channel and uh, review these books on my bookshelf. And so I just started, I, so I, I, I kind of, all I was was on Reddit, you know, that's the only media I was on. And so I just started connecting with Mormons here and there on Reddit and talking to them, telling them what I was going to do. Long story short, I end up attending this community of Christ thing and I'm meeting all these community of Christ pe people. And then I'm meeting apostles in the um, independent branches of, of that broke off from the LDS and publishers there. 
And then next thing you know, I'm encountering Mormons in in Utah. Next thing you know, I got Rick Bennett wants to do a co-production of Gospel Tangents and Mormon book reviews. I mean, it, I mean, I'm talking to household names in Utah. Are I'm talking to um, within a few weeks of me launching this channel. So I was completely uh, overwhelmed. I mean, I. I because I feel the Lord had prepared me for what I'm, I was going to experience, I was not overwhelmed by it. I just, because I said, okay, I'm just going to let the spirit operate here. And every email I, I send, almost every email I send gets a response. Almost every telephone call that I make, somebody's on their line wanting to talk to me. These are historians. These are publishers. These are people uh, that normally you would have a difficult time getting a hold of if you're just like a run-of-the-mill Mormon, actually. I think it's because, partly because I'm from the outside, I'm an evangelical, it kind of gives me maybe an advantage. Now, others would say, that no, that's the Holy Spirit operating. So, analytical side says, well, it's just kind of a unique thing. And some of my evangelical and charismatic friends say, man, everything that happens to you, this is the Spirit, man. This is like confirmation that you're doing the Lord's work. I don't understand what you're doing, Steve, but it just seems like this is the Lord's operating in your life. And again, my whole goal of this channel was just to be secular and scholarly, a kind of an intellectual, uh, just vanity project, just something, a labor of love that I was going to do. But then relatively short period of time, I start encountering people. They start telling me their spiritual experiences and dreams and visions that they had. The next thing I know, I also start running into Christians, <laughs> which surprised me, Mormons, like people who believe the Book of Mormon is scripture, but also they have they, they are confessed, they are confessed Christians. So that's another avenue that I went into. So just everything kind of really exploded over the last couple months. And it's very unexpected. I didn't anticipate. I'm going to the Mormon History Association conference this weekend. Um, I have in my cell phone the head, the executive director of the Mormon History Association. I, I mean, I could pick up the phone or I could text them right now and they'll respond to me. I mean, to be all of a sudden just thrust into this world and 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 have all these connections with people that I wasn't anticipating. I mean, I could tell you a half dozen names that I'm not going to name on air that are well-known uh, current Mormons or post-Mormons or ex-Mormons and some evangelicals that are well-known that I've engaged with within just weeks of me starting the channel. And I thought, this is crazy. I mean, how, I mean, I'm sitting at a desk. It's not, the production values aren't that great. It's just me sitting there in front of a desk, a dude, a desk and a bookshelf talking. Uh, and then, and then I started doing interviews and then, you know, like I said, I get, I started talking to Rick Bennett, he's on board, he wants to help me and all these just wonderful things happen. And so it's been part of the human aspect too. See, it was all book knowledge about Mormonism. I just studied it and I read it. I didn't, but I, I thought, oh wait, this is a religion and they believe in God and they believe in the Holy Spirit and they believe in miracles and they believe in Jesus. And so of course I'm going to start encountering that aspect of it as well. It's more than just an intellectual endeavor as well. And then you start engaging human beings and realize, oh, these aren't, these are, I have a character and a caricature in my mind of what a Mormon is. And then I'm dealing with them like, they're just, they're just like me, man. You know, they're the same as I am in many ways. And they have the same hopes and fears and um, they have the same concerns about life. They, 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 and, and so, and they have a real, many of them have a real hunger to want to know Jesus or they love Jesus. And so it's like, you know, these are, these are people that I just really love so much. And I just love the opportunity to, to been able to, I mean, I have a 19 year old, the one of the first Mormons I reached out to, he, uh, him and I, we start talking and, 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 he says, well, at seven o'clock, I'm going to get my, I'm going to announce to my family where I'm going to spend my mission. 
And, and he said, I'll, I'm going to be doing it at five o'clock my time, seven o'clock your time. I said, oh, you're waiting for your parents. To and he said, yeah. About 730, he messages me and says, I'm going out to California. He gave me the mission that he's going to be at. So I'm going to have this 19-year-old kid who's going to go on his mission. And he's going to email me like once a week and give me an update on his mission. You know, and then I'm, I mean, just the intimacy that I'm having with Mormons was not something I was expecting. It's a very human thing that I'm doing, and it's a very human thing that I'm experiencing. But I feel honored and privileged that these people have trusted me and have made me feel quite at home. Um, they've shown kindness to a stranger, which I think is a very Christ-like attribute. Yeah, thank you for that. I really appreciate a lot of the things that you said. I really resonated with <clears throat> what you were saying about uh, Mormon history and and the breadth of knowledge that it kind of kind of branches out from there because it kind of touches everything uh, related to American history. Um, I remember reading uh, there's a there's a historian of the Jacksonian era, Robert Rimini, and he wrote a a very short uh, biography of Joseph Smith. And I, re- I remember reading that when I was still Mormon, and then branching out to his other books about uh, the Jacksonian era and. So, uh, you know, it just takes you in, in so many different directions. Um, also really appreciated what you what you said when you started speaking from your heart about Mormons, um, because, you know, that's kind of why we started this podcast is we want to be a place where uh, a resource for Mormons who are questioning their faith, but don't necessarily want to go in in the direction of agnosticism or atheism. They want to continue uh, and and feel continued to be drawn towards Jesus. So we wanted to be a place where uh, they can feel safe to listen to us. Uh, We're we're guys who have walked that road and um, you know, we might not, uh, (laughs) you know, for some people, we might not have all of our doctrinal ducks in a row or, or what have you. Um, and we might say things in a little bit of a, a, a not as a not as theologically theologically astute way, but um, we want to we want to reach uh, Latter Day Saints or post Latter Day Saints who uh, who are drawn to Jesus. So I I hear your your heart for them and and really appreciate that. So we mentioned earlier that um, early Mormonism you know kind of had a charismatic be- beginning, right? New prophecy, new scripture, speaking in tongues, um, and yet. Uh, as that kind of was exploding in, in the Western Reserve, uh, after Joseph Smith kind of moved the church to Kirtland, um, he kind of came out against uh, paroxysms and tongue speaking, and even said that you can know for sure that they're of the devil. Um, so what do, you, what do you make of the early Latter-day Saint movement with regards to charismatic uh, outpourings of, of experiences? Yeah, it's- I just find it interesting that when you have manifestations of the Holy Spirit, then you have this immediate reaction to want to stop it. I find that a very fascinating thing that we see throughout history. But the interesting thing about it is, okay, so you had uh, uh, this gentleman by the name of Black Pete. It's unfortunate that's the only name we have in history about him, who apparently was engaging in some kind of enthusiastic religion, might have been uh, influenced by the African tribal, uh, African re- traditional religion. So we're not super sure. Um, and he was, uh, he claimed that a black angel gave him a letter that conferred upon him certain uh, authority. And uh, he was kind of an early leader before Oliver Cowdery or Joseph Smith got to Kirtland. Um, but these were people who were reading the Book of Mormon and believed in it. And so they were starting to have these manifestations. Some of it, I definitely think is not legit. Okay. I mean, I think I look at it and as it's described, I think, nah, it's just kind of weird, but, and so 
I guess in Joe, I'm not going to say well, in, in some way in Joseph's defense, I can say that he comes there and he puts a stop to it. Now, what happens is as a result of this group in Kirtland, they start sending out missionaries. Okay. And that these two go and they meet this guy named Brigham Young and they start telling him about tongues. <laughs> and so then Brigham Young um, starts, uh, he reads the Book of Mormon and at some point he starts speaking in tongues. So next thing you know, old Brigham comes to uh, Kirtland and they're upstairs in a tavern having a service of some kind, I guess it was service. And then he starts speaking in tongues. And then Joseph goes and says, that is the pure Adamic language that you just spoke. Most of the people in the room anticipated Joseph was just going to put the kibosh on it right then and there. And he said that was the pure Adamic language that you just spoke. Now, we know that there's historically documented that, you know, Brigham Young Gate would give sermons. And back then, sermons weren't 45 minutes. These were hours long. And he gave whole sermons speaking in tongues. I find that very interesting. I don't know what to make of that. I just find that very interesting. So, so, and, and some say, well, this is a racial component. Maybe Joseph was a racist and he didn't want black feet having any power, who, by the way, probably did have had the priesthood confirmed on him. So early on, there was a black member who had the priesthood, just so you know. Um, but uh, it's so I don't know. I'm not trying to cast aspersions on Joseph or anything like that. But sometimes I'm just talking analytically. But uh, maybe because Brigham's white, maybe it becomes more acceptable. I don't know. So then, of course, you have uh, in, in 1835, you have this delegation from England. Um, they're following uh, like they're called Irvingites. They're like the Catholic Apostolic Church, I think is what they're called. And they're still around today. I actually met a minister in that church years ago. And um, they were what's called kind of like a proto-Pentecostal thing because they were operating the gifts and they were doing these kind of things. And Joseph was intrigued by them. And they were actually in talks of possibly merging. I don't know how far these talks came, but there was discussions about merging with the Irvingites, who at this time were actually bigger than the Mormons, and actually bringing these two groups together. And so Joseph was still open to the idea of the gifts of the spirit as, as late as 1835. And of course, then we have the Kirtland Temple and all that happened. And I'm so glad you read that earlier today because that kind of refreshed a lot of stuff in my mind. So you can see early on in the church, there's this dab, there's this ebb and flow, there's this dabbling and there's this experimentation going on. And then there's like, well, we got to pull back on this. And then there's this idea of authority. And then, you know, of course you have the same thing with other people using seer stones. No, only one person has this gift and you know but then you know oliver cowdery had the, the the ability to divine with the rod and so you and they were working that out and and so like who had authority and at this point joseph at this point it becomes throughout the years it becomes established that he's the only authority that that can really operate in these in these realms but that 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 whole idea of the gifts of the spirits there now this is the most fascinating thing about see the book of mormon if, if uh, my friend christopher thomas wrote the book a pentecostal reads the book of mormon and he basically said this is a pentecostal document he was shocked that the doctrine that parnum came up with in 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 the early 19 during the azusa street idea uh, azusa street revival the idea of evidence in tongues, uh, of tongues being a, a, a show that you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, that's a unique doctrine that comes out of there and somehow finds its way into the Book of Mormon, right? So he's totally intrigued by that. Not only a Pentecostal, he's the first person to ever pick that up. Nobody ever caught this before. This is kind of new stuff that's being picked up, this whole idea that how thoroughly Pentecostal the book is. But if you read the Book of Mormon, it's a thoroughly Pentecostal book. If your church was patterned after after the church that's in the Book of Mormon, it would be a very, very Pentecostal book. 
Very interesting stuff. Very fascinating thing. So there's something about the gifts of the spirit, the Holy Spirit, tongues, gifts, healing, all that kind of stuff. Even kind of being slain in the spirit, you know, all that stuff's in the Book of Mormon. It's in the early decade or so of the church. So on some level, it's a pretty Pentecostal movement. And it's very, it's, it's very fascinating to me because when you read that, you're reading the story at the beginning, I'm hearing this. It's like, yeah, I've heard these stories before. Now, of course, the analytical part of me is like, well, Steve, what does that say about your movement, right? You know, <laughs> so I, I mean, I understand that, you know, and, I'm, I'm, and sometimes I'm just, yeah, I just don't know. I, I don't really know what was going on there. Part of me feels very strongly that when you have a when you have people together that are truly, truly diligently seeking the face of God, and they want to uh, have communion with the Lord, and they want to have Jesus in their lives. I mean, people are having visions of Jesus walking. I remember I was at the uh, Kirtland Temple, and I, after I left the Kirtland Temple, I went to the visitor center at, that the, the LDS church has, and I had the privilege of having a tour given to me by the mission president and his wife, and they took me around to show me all the different places, uh, you know, the streets and stuff. And she went to me and she said, you know, all my life, I wanted to go to Israel. I wanted to go to Jerusalem and walk the streets that Jesus walked. But then when we got here and I read the history of this place and realized that Jesus, she said right there, Jesus walked down this street right here. She said, I no longer had to go to Jerusalem because I'm in a place where Jesus walked the streets there. Well, there's something there that like I find precious and resonates with me. Like, wow, this person loves Jesus and they wanted to be in the place for walking Jesus' footsteps. And she's satisfied with being there in Kirtland, Ohio, because she believes that Jesus walked on those on, on the there as well. And so, I mean, there's just like so many fascinating things going on in the early church that I found just, I think there's something going on, especially in that Book of Mormon, there's something going on that I just find truly fascinating. And I just don't, can't quite put all the pieces together, but I just think it's really cool nonetheless. Yeah, thank you. I, th- I think too, even as Paul and I would consider ourselves post-Latter-day Saints, I still personally find interest in learning more. And I feel like recently my, my brain's been like Swiss cheese. Like, like I read stuff and I, and I listen to stuff and it just comes back out. But I love just listening to um, videos from like Dan Vogel or others who talk about the early church history. And, and you had mentioned that you had interviewed uh, John Hamer. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. So when I was first questioning, you know, when I first, first started doubting my testimony in the LDS church, um, I, was really drawn to John Hamer's presentation that he gave to, you know, in, on the Mormon stories podcast. And I really liked that idea of freedom, you know, because I felt so confined and so closed in, in the LDS church. And this idea that like the community of Christ allows you to kind of have this freedom to have different ideas, and different thoughts and different beliefs. And that really, that really spoke to me at that time. And so like, I was, I was, I was like probably like 75% of the way <laughs> of like considering joining them because it was familiar enough to me as a lot of saying, you know, we had the same common background and, and, uh, and uh, with Joseph Smith in the, in the book of Mormon, I still felt like the book of Mormon meant a lot to me, but, but it also, they'd also tried to go more towards biblical teachings of, you know, the Trinity and, and other doctrines that are, you know, historical Christianity. And they rejected doctrines from like the Pearl Great Price. Like, you know, the book of Abraham was a huge shelf item. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really find John Hamer fascinating. And even though I didn't go in that direction, uh, I think that was an important part of my transition period is, is, is I bought, you know, I, I went to their, to the Herald House uh, publishing website and bought a bunch of books. And, uh, you know, I bought their, their version of the inspired version of uh, inspired translation of the Bible and, and their version of the Doctrine and Covenants with the extra uh, revelations in there, you know. So I was, I was, I was even talking to 70s in the community of Christ. So, so I was really considering joining them. 
Um, and so, yeah, I too, I find the history of the LDS church fascinating and, and just the different, the different paths that, that people after Joseph Smith's death, you know, all the different divergences and everything that split off from them. I mean, because as a Latter-day Saint, you're basically taught, well, I mean, yeah, there, there was the group that stayed behind, but they're the, the wrong group and we're the right group. And then you find out, wait, there's dozens of branching movements after the death of Joseph, even before Joseph, you know, there were people that were branching off and yeah, it's, it's, it is a piece of American history. And so I, I think that that's, that's something interesting and important for us to study and to understand. Um, so yeah. So yeah, I just wanted to say that because a lot of what you said really, really resonated with me as, as Paul also remarked. Well, thank you. Because, you know, honestly, guys, this is really the first time I've ever had a conversation like with this, with evangelicals in this context. So I really didn't know what to expect. A lot of my first, I'm doing a lot of first things on camera or on podcasts. And it's kind of a weird experience to experience that. But I will say like, I spent over 90 minutes giving, having a very deep conversation with, with John Hamer, really got into some really interesting stuff. Um, because he, every once in a while, like his historic, his historical presentations are very interesting, but, uh, but, but he would be like on, you know, like, uh, Mormon stories or gospel tangents or something like that. And, and more so on, on Mormon stories where he might say something very interesting, but because it was kind of spiritual or theological, uh, John DeLynn was like, okay, move on to the next question. You know, let's continue do, doing some more bashing here. Um, and, uh, I said, boy, that's an interesting idea. I need to talk to him. So we talked for the first 45 minutes where he talked about his life and he, and he tells things about his life that I don't think have been, I, I don't recall ever hearing about. So you'll hear some new information about uh, John and he's just a great guy. And then um, we spent like a good 45 minutes talking deep doctrine, like uh, what does a metaphorical view of scripture look like? How does one live a life? And I even kind of phrased it with the idea that let's say you're somebody who's thinking of just leaving the faith altogether because either the Book of Mormon or the Bible just can't take it literally anymore. And it just isn't going to work anymore. You know, what do we do as Christians or as Mormons to keep these kind of our best and brightest in the church? Can we accommodate an, a metaphorical reading of scripture and allow these people to still be in fellowship with us? And, and, and maybe this is a way, an avenue of rather than becoming an atheist, but you could still encounter the divine and still encounter the scriptures. Because John even told me that, um, for the first time in decades, they, um, they, they, he preached out of the Book of Mormon. He did a whole series of the Book of Mormon. They haven't used the Book of Mormon in that particular congregation in Toronto in a very, very long time. But it was a metaphorical idea. But he said, you know, the Book of Mormon is still scripture to me. And so he took a metaphorical approach to the Book of Mormon. I thought it was very interesting stuff. I just found him to be an endlessly fascinating guy. By the time this this episode comes out, it will have been posted on my on my YouTube page. So check it out because I think it's just a really interesting interview. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. I loved the the humility I think that John Hamer had too with with John Dillon. Like you said, a lot of times John Dillon was kind of critical, and you know John Hamer would 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 give his opinion and he would say, "Well, this is how I view things," or you know, this, this is my theological position versus, you know, an academic position. And I, and I, that really spoke to me at the time too. I was like, you know, this guy's really cool. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to be able to have my own, uh, my own opinion, but be able to interact with others' opinions and not be offended. Yeah. He, he's just like, uh, you see, I mean, I got to interact before him and then, you know, he's just like, he is, he, you, I knew what to expect when I was dealing with him, 
but yeah, and that's the thing too is uh, um, you know if, uh, that reminds me of the second ep- the second interview of Christopher Thomas Paul where um, where they they were talking about him him doing the Book of Mormon and in some sense Christopher Thomas was defending the Book of Mormon to John DeLynn because uh, John just goes so far in one tangent and like and Christopher's like hey you know what wait 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 there's something in here that's kind of interesting or there's actually some value here I mean because Christopher took the text very seriously and and wrote quite a, a substantial study of the book. I was trying to explain to John that, you know, there's some, there's still interesting things that you can glean out of this thing. So here you have this Pentecostal defending the Book of Mormon to John DeLynn. You know, what, what an interesting <laughs> setup that was. I think we find ourselves doing that too, because there are a lot of, I don't know, I don't want to disparage our brothers in Christ, but there are a lot of specious arguments that are made against Mormonism, you know, that I won't use, or I try not to use because I just don't find them convincing. And I didn't find them convincing as a Latter-day Saint. I felt they were low-hanging fruit, as we kind of talked about. So um, it's like we love them, but at the same time, it's like, eh, I don't know. I would never use that argument. Or, or, or um, So, yeah, it's not that we would defend in terms of, like, promoting the LDS Church, but at the same time, we want to accurately that's, – that's been the goal of our podcast, too, is to accurately represent Latter-day Saint beliefs because anybody can make a straw man and, and you know, light that to a crisp. We want to really interact with Latter-day Saints. We want to do it in a respectful uh, manner and also to accurately you know, represent their beliefs and say, okay, here's how we believe that the Bible speaks on this particular topic, you know, in, you know, in, in, con- in compare and contrast to the LDS beliefs on this topic. Um, and then that's what we want to do. We, I'd be actually interested, you know, I'll talk to Paul about this later, but I'd be interested more to have more Latter-day Saints on our program to talk and not necessarily in a debate format, but just in a discussion format. Because yeah, think, we love them. We love them. So. Yeah, I think that's important. And I also tell one of the things I tell evangelists, don't be afraid of the Book of Mormon. There's there's very little in the Book of Mormon that you would have a problem with. Now, uh, in other words, what I'm trying to explain to them is there's very little Mormonism in the Book of Mormon. They think that all these Mormon doctrines are in there and there, and there isn't. And so I, I, I equate it to, you know, a lot of Christians believe the Pilgrim's Progress on some level is inspired. You know, John Bunyan received it in a dream vision. You know, that's what he said. I, I had this dream and this vision enfolded. And, and, and this is, I wrote this book, right? And so for years, it's kind of fallen out of favor over the last couple of decades. But Pilgrim's Progress was kind of a very inspirational thing to many Christians for a very long time. Um, you know, Book of Mormon could pl- possibly play the same role on some level. Great. Thank you for, um, I know we kind of talked about before that we, we have this program. It's kind of like, it's, it's controlled chaos. So I'm really grateful that you've been able to, been willing to kind of deviate from the questions we sent you. And, to have this discussion. I'm having fun. I'm enjoying this, guys. This is good. (laughs) Great. You're listening to Outer Brightness, a podcast for post-Mormons who are drawn by God to walk with Jesus rather than turn away. Outer Brightness. Outer Brightness. Outer Brightness. There's no weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth here, except when Michael's hangry, that is. Hangry, that is. Hangry, that is. We were all born and raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, headquartered in Salt Lake City, Utah, more commonly referred to as the Mormon faith. All of us have left that religion and have been drawn to faith in Jesus Christ based on biblical teachings. The name of our podcast, Outer Brightness, reflects John 1, 9, which calls Jesus the true light, which gives light to everyone. We have found life beyond Mormonism to be brighter than we were told it would be, and the light we have is not our own. It comes to us from without, thus Outer Brightness. Our purpose is to share our journeys of faith and what God has done in drawing us to his son. We have conversations about all aspects of that transition, the fears, challenges, joys, and everything in between. 
We're glad you found us and we hope you'll stick around. So we talked a little bit about John Hamer. Uh, are there any other famous, famous or favorite historians of yours from the Latter-day Saint Church or just historians of the Latter-day Saint Church that maybe aren't LDS? Well, I think, I mean, I respect the work of Jan Ships. You know, I think she's done a lot of good stuff. Um, you know, from an outsider perspective, I kind of respect her work. I really enjoy Dan Vogel. Um, I just, I find his books and his videos, I've watched all his videos. I find him to be an interesting fella. Um, you know, D. Michael Quinn, I actually haven't engaged that much, but I do want to engage him a little bit. I'm, I'm sorry he passed. I would have loved to have had him on my show. Um, well, of course, I had Matthew Harris on my show, and he's written some great stuff on Ezra Taft Benson. And I did just finish a three-part interview that I just posted part three the other day, um, where we talk about uh, the history of Ezra Taft Benson and his role that he played in the uh, American right wing of politics, as well as what he uh, how influential he is to this day in the uh, in the LDS Church. So Matthew Harris is a really top notch guy. Um, I haven't read yet, but Mark Staker, who's one of the top church uh, people, who is a curator, historian, I think anthropologist, um, he's his work. I hear is fantastic. I actually have one of his books that I'm going to read and review and have him on as a guest. Let me think here. Uh, you know, I mean, there's Fawn Brody, you know, <laughs> um, and and then, of course, I, I I think I've read Rough Stone Rolling by Bushman probably three times, cover to cover. Probably it's been 12 years since I've done it, so I haven't reviewed it yet because I want to kind of go through it, engage it one more time before I do a review. Um, so, yeah, there's and I'm sure I'm, there's a, I could list a half dozen more people. But, yeah, there's some really good I'm trying to think. um you know, I really enjoy Grant Palmer when he wrote the insider's uh, view of uh, Mormonism. Well, he was still a member in good standing. He was the one that he tried to look for images of G Joseph looking um, in the hat with the peepstone. And there aren't any images that were existent or they could get his hands on. So he had to commission two works to be put in that book. So that's an important contribution to historical research. He commissioned two uh, works that showed for the very first time Joseph using the peepstone in the hat. So that, uh, and, I, and I personally just, I've seen Grant Palmer on Mormon stories and just found him to be a very wonderful person. But yeah, I, I like his writing as well. He does, he wrote a book called The Incomparable Jesus. I'd like to get that. I haven't read it yet, but I do want to my hand, get my hands on a copy of that as well. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed reading the, uh, not The Incomparable Jesus, which, what was the other one? An Insider's View of Mormonism. Yep. Is that what you said? Okay. Yeah, Insider's yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. And just real quick, too. I mean, one person I, I personally become friends with is Jonathan Neville, who's not really a historian. He's an attorney, but he's, he's one of the chief intellectual advocates for the Heartland model of the, where the Book of Mormon took place. And him and I have become fast friends. And I find him to be an interesting fellow. And I enjoy, uh, I, I enjoy reading his, uh, his stuff as well. So, yeah, I was, I was really saddened to hear, too, about uh, Grant Palmer's passing because I would have liked to talk to him. Also, because during my transition phase, I read his book, The Insider's View. And that was really interesting because he kind of addressed all of the things that I had already been questioning in my life. And, you know, he, he wrote that as an insider, like you said, as a faithful editor. And he kind of admitted, yeah, there's things here that I don't understand or I can't reconcile. And, and it felt validating to me as a questioning Latter-day Saint to hear someone else being like, oh, yeah, I'm not just crazy, you know, as a, as a questioning Latter-day Saint. You, you feel like that sometimes. And that's kind of why we made this podcast is because is because we want to share our experiences because I wish there were something like this out there when I was questioning. I felt like I was so completely isolated in the world 
Like I was the only one in the world that had these thoughts, these feelings. And I thought I was lo- losing my mind. I was like, do I need to have myself committed? You know, because you grow up in this, this milieu of, of Mormonism and you feel like everybody just believes it. And, and then you start to doubt it. And it's, it really messes with your, your concept of reality and what's true and what's not. And, and you just kind of lose all sense of what's, what's, what's right and wrong. And you're not even sure if you want to believe in a God. And that's kind of all the, this, this maelstrom of just ideas and thoughts they had. And so to hear somebody to read Grant Palmer's work and just be like, Oh, okay. You know, I'm not the only one. And so, and, and I have read parts of his incomparable Jesus and I really enjoyed it. It talks a lot about how his, his ministry in, in the uh, prison system and how he would, he would work with people and he would just talk to them about Jesus. And so uh, it's on my bucket list of things to read as well as Richard Bushman's book work. I, I have it. I just <laughs> haven't finished it. It's one of the many, you know, you know, theology, uh, you know, Christians have, have all the theology books, you know, and they've started, you know, one eighth of the way through the book and they haven't finished it. <laughs> it's one of those books that I got to finish. So yeah, I agree with you. I, I have a lot of respect for, for, for those with theologians. And I have a lot of respect too for Richard Bushman. I think he's admitted that there's a lot of things that are difficult to reconcile. You know, I, I think for us to just push the, you know, push our, our agenda or, or to push our, push our opinion and not be willing to concede or to, to even examine the opposite side is problematic. You know, as Christians, we should be able to say, okay, we know this criticism. Maybe I don't agree with it, but this, but at least I'm addressing it. And I think that's important to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I don't know why I just love that Bushman book to me. It was, it couldn't be long enough. Like it could be twice the size it is. And I would have rather continued to, to read. Of course, it goes without saying that Christopher Thomas is another great theologian slash historian that I encountered as well. So, you know, I, I thought, oh, I better throw him. I talk about him all the time, so he don't care. But uh, yeah, a lot of good people, a lot of interesting minds that you engage. Uh, and I enjoy that. You know, I feel just, uh, you know, better uh, as a human being reading a lot of this material and, uh, so it's just a good education. If you're a reader, man, Mormonism is a good place to maybe look into because you, you will never run out of things to read about. <laughs> yep. And it's only a couple of hundred years old, which is interesting to, mm-hmm. to think there's so much out there that it's it's like a, a well that doesn't end. And there's different theories about, um, you know, with, with Vogel's book, uh, The Making of a Prophet or something like that. He has his own ideas about how Joseph Smith, you know, how, how he was, I don't know, formed or formulated or became a prophet or or how there's the interaction between him and his followers and kind of like, there's the feedback system of, you know, he would give a prophecy and then they would believe it and then kind of bolster his confidence. And so that would kind of feed into, you know, th- there's a lot of interesting stuff there that I, that I find interesting. I still got to finish that book too. It's, it's on Kindle now too. So that's great. See, I'm, I'm a, for years. I know I'm a hard copy kind of guy and you can't, you, the hard, the, um, the hard covers are a fortune. So I'm going to go to sing. I'm going to find somebody from signature books and say, guys, when are you going to come out with a paperback edition of that? Because the Vogel book came out at the same time the Bushman came out. They were both 45, 50 bucks. So I thought, well, I'll wait for the paperback. So the Bushman paperback came out. I bought that. And where's the Vogel? You know, because at my bar, local Barnes and Noble, they had both of them. And, uh, you know, this is the interesting thing about Dan Vogel. And one of the things, and I think this is something I think is worth pursuing because I find it very interesting. He believes that what the first vision was, was what would he calls or coins a born again experience, right? So I'm thinking, okay, what if Joseph Smith had a born again experience, right? A lot of what he does on some level actually makes more sense, this might sound really weird, but just hear me out. This is kind of an ad hoc thing I'm just throwing together that I've been throwing together for the last few weeks. Is this? Is it? Say he had a born again experience, and he feels a conviction 
that so and they give you even Grant Palmer in one of his Mormon stories interviews somewhere I remember he talks about you know Joseph did have a heart for souls he said he was in New York City and he sent this letter to Emma describing about just how how overwhelmed he was about all these lost souls and we need to reach them for Christ something along those lines so he had like something there that he felt this need to want to convert people. And I, I, I kind of feel like when I look at Joseph Smith, I see the same mentality that you hear from a lot of evangelists, which is save the lost at any cost. And I'm thinking, Joseph's like, you know, these Indians, they need the Lord. And most evangelicals at the time believe that the 10 lost tribes, many of them believe that the 10 lost tribes built the, the mounds. And I think that Joseph, in his own way, and this is just kind of a theory, and I'm not, to you Mormons out there, I'm not precluding the supernatural here, because I'm, I'm not here to bash. I'm just here to explore different avenues here. But I think that he had a heart for the Indians. We need to lead these people to the Lord. Their civilization is being crushed, and these are broken people, and we need to tell them their true history. And I think he felt it's what we would call inspiration, like writers have this inspiration where all of a sudden all these words are falling out of them. And they're just writing stuff down. They're just like kind of in a manic state, right? And they're just like, you know, saying all these things. And I think that, you know, people who are, in, they say, I was inspired or I had a muse or whatever, these authors and stuff like that. It's almost, it's almost kind of a supernatural thing when all these things just come through you, right? And I kind of think maybe when he's producing the Book of Mormon, he's feeling like, okay, yeah, this is real. And this is how we're going to reach the, the Native Americans, you know? And so my, in my mind, I think he's looking at this as an evangelistic tool to reach, reach the lost. And that's what his intention was from the beginning. This is for the Lamanites, right? And we need to reach them. We need to tell them their true heritage and who they are and that they are an important people and that they are a chosen people, right? And then they need to come back, right? So to me, when I read, so I, I kind of look at it like, you know, this sounds like a guy who really has a, 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 this a burden for his lost souls. He wants to lead people to the Lord. He feels like he's inspired to create this document that he believes is probably being produced via some supernatural way. And he produces this thing. And then at this point, even when he starts this whole endeavor, I don't think he's thinking of becoming a prophet or starting a church. It's significant that the Book of Mormon comes out before the church even starts, right? And then as the thing evolves, it just kind of, be, you know, I don't think everything was just, this is a fly by his, the seat of his pants kind of guy, right? I mean, he was just kind of, throwing stuff out there. But I think a lot of what he was saying, I think he really believed was being guided from the Holy Spirit. So I'm just, I'm trying to give him like the best case, like the steel man argument is what I'm giving here. But I can see that a lot of what I see with, look, Jim Baker built a city. Um, or Robert saw a 200 foot tall Jesus. Um, Benny Hinn said that there was multiple members of the Godhead, which is a different view of the Trinity, as well as uh, multiple gods, right? Plurality of gods. Um, Kenneth Copeland can tell you, tells us that you can become a god. And like I tell people, said if Joseph Smith was around today, he'd be on TBN. <laughs> and and so I just kind of look at it from like, I, if Joseph had a born again experience and he had a need, felt a need for souls, and we're because we're all human and we all operate in the flesh and we are we're carnal and we kind of sometimes confuse what's the spirit and what's the flesh. And sometimes we can't differentiate. And sometimes we think you know, something is a spirit, but it's the flesh. Um, where He's human just like we are. So I'm kind of given like an alternative scenario where I can see how he could be born again and still do all this stuff and see it happen. And, and I we can see some manifestation of it present itself in our modern era. To this day, we see this kind of thing happening. So I don't know. That's just kind of my little take on it. 
I, which I just kind of find to be an interesting thought. I don't know. I don't, you guys probably think I'm some crackpot, but that's just kind of my thought. No. And now I want to see the TBN special with the, you know, like an alternate world, alternate universe theory of Joseph Smith with his TBN spot. And he's selling uh what is it like <laughs> miracle water or whatever. <laughs> I don't know what it was, what it would be. He would sell. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? But I'm just saying like, you know, I mean, I just kind of see a little bit of that there. And so I, I kind of see it a little bit in the charismatic movement. A lot of the people I just mentioned are people that are affiliated with the charismatic movement. I'm not, I'm not trying to hide anything from you guys. I'm not trying to say that, hey, we got everything right here. I'm saying like, yeah, you know, there are some parallels here that need to be explored. That's a great thought. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> if Joseph Smith were in our modern day. <laughs> but um, I'd just like to thank you, Stephen, for uh, coming on to our podcast. I really appreciate it. It's been really enriching and, and really interesting. And and um, like I said, I'm I'm... You know, maybe I'm an image of what you were previously as, as the nuclear Calvinist, you know, and, and um, but I enjoy interaction with people who have different experiences, different life, you know, you know, different life experiences, different memories, different, different beliefs, different backgrounds. And so I really appreciate you coming on. Um, so I just like to give this time to you now to be able to, if you have anything, any in, upcoming interviews you have on your, on your channel, your YouTube channel, you talked about that earlier in the program or earlier in the interview. Um, is there any upcoming interviews that our viewers would be interested in listening to or upcoming project projects that you have? So uh, I'll just turn this time over to you to plug anything you'd like to announce to everyone. Okay. Well, as we're filming this, this is, we're in early June and I'm actually not in the place where I normally film my book reviews. So I've only got about two or three more book reviews that I'm going to release. So I do a book review on Thursday and an interview on Friday. And so I have, a couple more that I'm going to release and then I'm going to do like, okay, end of season one book reviews. This is what you can expect for season two in October. We're going to start producing season two of the book reviews. Okay. So that's the plan. Start start releasing in October of November where we'll start. Um, I actually, the, I think what I'm going to do, the very first book review is actually going to be a special where I talk about Battlestar Galactica and Mormonism. I thought that would be a fun way to start off season one. And then um, I've got quite a few interviews lined up. Now, by the time this episode, these episodes, I'm assuming this might be more than one part at this point. Um, by the time these air, I'm going to have quite a few um, interviews. I already have a few in the can that will be coming out in the next few weeks. I have this fascinating author who from Germany. He's a fairly well-known novelist. Um, he, he was a Mormon missionary who um, was from Hawaii and he only converted one person and that one person ends up being his future wife. And this guy is unknown in America. This is like the first English language uh, interview that will be conducted with him. And he's a fairly well-known German author and novelist. And this is kind of will be his entry point into the American market with his talk about losing my religion, how he eventually ended up losing his faith and his faith in God altogether and leaving. But it's also why I love and left the Mormon church. So he, he doesn't leave in a, he, he's not, he doesn't blast the Mormonism at all. He's more of, it's a loving, it's kind of a love letter to an ex, you know? So I find, uh, so I'm, I'm just looking for interesting people to have on as guests. So if other people want to contact me, um, you can go to my website, mormonbookreviews.com. And there's a place where you can email me, contact me there and, uh, check out the website. And we're still under construction, but we're working on that. Um, and then, so like basically throughout the summer, I just plan on doing uh, one or two interviews a week and then just post to them, at, you know, Thursday, Friday. Um, I'm going to have a venture where I'm going to start talking to fellow 
podcasters and YouTubers of the restoration, people who might have a subscriber base of about 50 to 500 and have them come on my show and kind of cross promote and cross pollinate our channels so that the smaller channels can help each other out. I think it's kind of a cool idea. I've already put one interview in the can for that. I'll be releasing that in the next few weeks. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, who knows what's going to a month from now? I don't know, but uh, this week I'm going to the Mormon history association. I ordered a thousand business cards and uh, just about every Mormon historian and scholar of note is going to know who I am a week from now. So who knows what the heck will be coming down the pike um, as well. I mean, I, I do have Sandra Tanner who will be coming on. We were going to do an interview this week, but she's giving a, she's actually going to be at the Mormon History Association this Thursday with Turley on the same stage with her. And this is the first time she's ever been invited to a, be on a panel from the Mormon History Association. She even went to the, said, that, are you sure you, you're allowed to even invite me? And like, yeah. We want you here, Sandra. These are the Camelot years for Sandra Tanner because everything they, they've been totally, almost on some level, been totally vindicated for what they said. So nobody can really has an ax to grind with them anymore. So Sandra's getting this begrudging respect that she kind of deserved all along, and especially Gerald, who was, a, who was a genius. So what we've decided to do is we're going to have the interview after she gives the presentation to the Mormon History Association and kind of do a post-mortem. But I also have like a bunch of questions that I have for her that people haven't asked her before. And so I, I have some questions so we can find out more about Sandra Tanner that you haven't heard before. So I'm a little long-winded, but I'm just very excited about what's coming down the pike. And you guys are very awesome. And um, I think it was a real honor and pleasure, privilege to be on, on this podcast today. Man, there's so much there that I, I'm just so excited to hear. I'm like, I'm a huge Battlestar Galactica fan, old and new. Like I've got it at, I made a group on Facebook. There's 18 people in it. So if, <laughs> if, you, if you want in, I'll, I'll send you an invite. But there's, okay. I, I post memes or things or whatever every couple of days. Nobody else posts in. Sure. I, yeah, I love that. Battlestar. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was that, growing up. That spoke to me more than Star Wars did. I like Star Wars, but boy, that Battlestar Galactica, you had Adama and you had Lost Tribes mm-hmm. and you had Angels and you had Lucifer and you had count iblis which iblis in in, in is a an arabic word for the devil you know all these different characters from uh you know the, these that, that that to me was just interesting i love that show i still do I, I just i love it i didn't even know about count iblis that's interesting i, I knew about lucifer i mean that's obvious yeah. but uh, i didn't know about Count iblis that's great yeah. yeah yeah maybe i'll send you an invite if you're interested. yeah do it do it <laughs> <laughs> All right, Fireflies, that's the wrap on this episode. Stephen, we're really glad you were able to come on. Um, if you want to have us on for an interview on your show, we would love to cross-pollinate with you. Um, for our listeners, uh, we've got some exciting stuff coming up as well for season six. Uh, Matthew and I are still planning a few things. We've got uh, an interview lined up with a young uh, Mormon philosopher who is studying uh, at the University of Texas, and he's going to come on and talk to us about his view of uh, free will because he takes a little bit different position uh, on the on the idea and doctrine of free will than the LDS doctrine typically takes. So uh, that should be an interesting conversation. Uh, once again, Stephen, thank you for coming on. Uh, we'll be watching your YouTube channel. Thanks. Yep. Thank you, Stephen. We thank you for tuning into this episode of the Outer Brightness Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please visit the Outer Brightness Podcast page on Facebook. Feel free to send us a message there with comments or questions by clicking send a message at the top of the page, and we would appreciate it if you give the page a like. We also have an Outer Brightness group on Facebook. 
where you can join and interact with us and others as we discuss the podcast, past episodes, and suggestions for future episodes, etc. You can also send us an email at outerbrightness at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you soon. You can subscribe to the Outer Brightness Podcast on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Podbean, Spotify, and Stitcher. Also, you can check out our new YouTube channel, and if you like it, be sure to lay hands on that subscribe button and confirm it. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen and help spread the word. You can also connect with Michael the Ex-Mormon Apologist at FromWaterToWine.org, where he blogs, and sometimes Paul and Matthew do as well. Music for the Outer Brightness podcast is graciously provided by the talented Brianna Flournoy and by Adams Road. Learn more about Adams Road by visiting their ministry page at adamsroadministry.com. Stay bright, fireflies. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God, the Word made flesh, the risen Son. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of the Lord endures church would remain upon this rock and the gates of hell